And thank you all for being with us today. As I mentioned earlier, we are starting a brand new message series here at Hope. And this series is called, In This Economy? And that's how I have to say it. In This Economy? And we're talking about what's going on in our economy right now and how we should be managing our finances in such a time as this. And I don't know what to call this time. You could call it a recession. You don't have to call it a recession. Regardless of what you call it, all I know is that a bag of bagels at Acme cost over $5. So things aren't good right now, right? There's financial strain going on in our country, financial strain going on all around the world. And so that's what we'll be talking about in this three-part series. Let me share with you, friends, for the Schaefer family, in the midst of a financially strained year. Listen to this. At the beginning of the month, we experienced what my wife Holly called Carmageddon. Both of our cars were in the mechanic at the same time, all right? Out of vehicles. One needed a new alternator. Do you know how much an alternator costs? Goodness gracious, man, I haven't bought one of those in about 10 years. The price has gone up, by the way. So one needed a new alternator. The other one needed a new transmission. I know, right? In other words, we needed to buy a new car, right? And by new car, of course, I mean used or what do they call it now? Pre-owned, like that's fooling anybody. Used, a used car, right? And so a new alternator and then a new slash pre-owned car and I'm thinking, I can't believe at such a time as this, in this economy, I have to make this big purchase. Have you seen what used cars are going for? It's absurd. Now listen, I was driving around my 2008 Ford Escape that I loved. I love that car. I love that. I love that car. I knew I was going to have to replace it eventually. I was just hoping it could hold out. Just hold out until whatever's going on is ended. You know, this whole supply chain thing or a computer chip shortage or whatever it is that's causing these prices to be so high right now. Let's just let the prices go down and then I'll look into buying a new car. Well, no such luck. I had to make that purchase in this economy. So we bite the bullet. New alternator. New pre-owned car, and then, what is it, a week later, Holly's doing laundry, and the washing machine is acting up. And so at first, we're in denial, right? Well, it's, it's okay, just maybe, maybe it just needs to rest. By the way, that's Holly's solution for a lot of our appliances. Maybe it just needs to rest, right? And a lot of the time, she's right. All it takes is a little rest, and then it comes back online. So we give it a rest, and I'm like, well, maybe if I unplug it and plug it back in again. So that didn't work, all right? And so we finally come to terms with reality and figure out we need to buy a new washing machine. Have you bought a washing machine recently? Last time I bought one was about 12 years ago. They have gone up in price. Are you kidding me? And so I'm down in the basement, and I'm trying to figure out well, how big is this one, trying to find something comparable online. And while I'm down in the basement, I notice in the corner that our um, sub-pump pit, is that what it's called? The pit where the water or the, the basin? Is that what it's called? Pit? Yeah. It's really high. It turns out our sub-pump isn't working. Fantastic. <laughs> All right, well, I can drain that manual. I can kind of put off repairing that. Okay, that's fine. But while I'm down there, I look in the other corner, and it appears as if our sewer is backing up. Now, that's something you can't put off, right? It's okay. We've got to solve this problem. And I rent one of those drain snakes at Home Depot, which isn't free, but it's cheaper than a plumber, and so we get that problem solved, but when I'm down there solving that plumber, I notice that our water heater is leaking, so I'm going to have to replace that too, and I'm thinking, you have got, to, all in one month, you have got to be kidding me, I've got to make all these purchases 
in this economy? Crazy. And so I'm feeling sorry for myself, and I'm feeling stressed out, and I'm feeling annoyed, but I'm trying to put on that kind of brave face for my kids and teach my children, listen, this is life. Things break. You need to replace them. But inside, I'm like, oh, I've got to be kidding me. This timing is lousy. And so one morning, after all this, I'm driving Alana to school, and I, I drop her off. And after I drop her off, I turn on the news. I wait until after I drop her off to turn on the news. And I turn on the news, and the first thing I hear is a report about the rise in homelessness. Now, in the city of Philadelphia, there are more and more homeless encampments. Um, and the subway uh, stations, some of them are being overrun by homeless. There is violence taking place, and I'm listening to this story, and I just feel absolutely awful. I feel embarrassed. I feel guilty. Goodness gracious, here I am complaining about these problems. Here I am feeling frustrated. Here I am feeling annoyed. Like, how many people around the world wish they could trade their problems for my problems right now? I mean, here I am stressed out because we've had to clean out our savings well, thank God we had savings. That's what savings is for, isn't it? When things break so you have money to pay for it. I'm complaining about this, and meanwhile, there are people who don't have a home. How many people would trade their problems for mine at such a time as this? In fact, as I was sharing my tale of woe with you, some of you thought, well, that doesn't sound so bad, Josh. I'd like to trade my problems with yours. And you had every reason to feel that way. Has that ever happened to you? You get yourself all tied up over money stuff, and then you step back and you realize, wow, maybe I don't have it as bad as I thought I did. One time, this was years ago, we had a, a woman who was connected with our church and would show up and worship sometimes. And she was in need and she had asked the church for money on multiple occasions and we had tried to provide and we did, in fact, provide on multiple occasions. And she came into worship one Sunday and I talked with her before worship and she was just sharing her tale of woe, what's going on, the bills that she can't afford to pay. And it just so happened that that Sunday... Um, our Kenya mission team was back. They were going to be sharing their stories from Kenya. And so they shared their stories from Kenya and the kind of poverty they experienced, and the kind of needs that exist in the Kenyan communities that they were in, and sharing those stories. And so after worship, this woman approached me. And she said, well, maybe, maybe I don't have it so bad after all. Maybe, okay, I can't afford to pay my cable bill. but I've got a house. Maybe my house isn't as big as my peers and what they have. It's just that one room, but, but at least... I have a roof over my head. That's the power of perspective. Step back and realize, wait a minute, maybe things aren't as dire as they seem. The power of perspective. There's this little comparison game that we can play. We can all do it. And we can look at people who are doing better than us financially, who have more stuff, newer stuff, bigger and better stuff, and we can feel like, why don't I have that stuff? right? You can also play the comparison game in the other direction. You can look at people, not just in your own community, but around the world who have so much less and realize, wow, I have so much to be thankful for, so much to be grateful for, so many blessings in our lives. Now, Mother Teresa is well known for her work, you know, taking care of the poorest of the poor in Calcutta. And on one occasion, she was um, being interviewed um, by a, a guy who just so happened to be an atheist, and, and he's there with her on the ground and watching what she does, and he asks her, you know, why would God allow this? Why would God allow this kind of poverty? And I'm going to paraphrase her answer. Essentially, she said, don't blame God for this. Blame people. 
don't blame God. Blame people. Because the fact is, there are more than enough resources on this planet to take care of everybody. The problem is that some people are holding on to way more than we need. And that leaves other people left having, having so very little. The problem, my friends, the problem is greed. Greed exists within the human heart. Now, let me dispel something about greed because some people think greed is just a problem for rich people, right? They think greed and they think, well, it's rich people. Rich people are greedy, right? Well, no. Greed exists all over the financial spectrum among the richest of the rich and the poorest of the poor and the human heart. We can all, and all points in between, by the way, we can all experience that sense of wanting more, that greed, that greed. And it just so happens... I know a few, not a lot, but I know a few very wealthy people. And they're some of the gen most generous people that I know. And so don't make that assumption, friends. Just because a person's wealthy doesn't mean they're greedy. Just because a person's poor doesn't mean that they're not, okay? Greed is the problem that exists within the human heart. Let's take a look at this passage that's in your, your bulletin here. This is from the book of Proverbs one of my favorite books of the Bible because of how practical it is. Book of Proverbs, most of the, of the Proverbs written uh, in that book were written by Solomon, but not all. Just so happens that this proverb was written by a guy named uh, Agur. I've heard it pronounced Agur, A-G-U-R. And this is someone who is almost certainly a, a, a contemporary of King Solomon back in the day. And so we're going back to Old Testament times. There's King David and then his son Solomon. And this Agur guy may have even been one of Solomon's counselors. We know that Solomon was the wisest man to ever walk the face of the planet in Old Testament times. And uh, this wisest man who ever lived had a whole collection of wise people that he received counsel from. Maybe that's what made him so wise. And so here's this guy, Agur. And you realize that this passage is really a prayer. It's a request that this man is lifting up to the Lord. It says, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. We're okay with that, aren't we? I mean, that's a great prayer. Keep deception, keep lies, keep them out of my mouth, keep it out of my ears, keep that away from me. I don't want to hear lies, I don't want to speak lies, keep, keep that stuff away from me, God. And then the second thing he's asking for, give me neither poverty. Okay, we're fine with this so far, right? In fact, this would be a lovely little prayer. We could all pray it right now. Father God, keep deception and poverty away from me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And we'd all be very happy with that, yes? That's a great prayer. That's not where he ends. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. What? What is, what is up with this guy? <laughs> I mean, that's got to be on the top 10 list of, of you know, prayer requests that God, give me more money, God. It's got to be up there, right? Keep me young and good-looking and wealthy, right? Isn't that it? What are people praying for? And this guy says, no, 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 no. Give me neither poverty nor riches. And he'll explain why. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Wow. Some of you who are here this morning are... Um, are Christians, and you came out of church traditions where you said the Lord's Prayer on a regular basis, maybe even a weekly basis, 
In fact, at our prayer meeting on Tuesday nights, we, we close that prayer session with the Lord's Prayer. And if you're familiar with that prayer, what does Jesus say? Give us this day our daily bread. Some of you know that. Give us this day our daily bread. This idea of just give us what we need for this day. You go back to the time of Moses, way back in the Old Testament. There was Moses, and he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt, and they were there wandering in the desert, wandering in the wilderness, and they needed something to eat. And God provided them with, with manna, this bread from heaven. And he gave them enough for each day. And God gave them instructions. He said, just gather enough for the day. Gather what you need for the day. Rely on me for this day. And guess what the people did? They took more than they needed. They took more than they needed because greed exists within the human heart. And they took more than they needed, but it didn't work out because that over and above that they took, it all spoiled. <laughs> they couldn't save it for the next day. God was saying, rely on me. I will provide for your daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. And so this guy, Agar, he was well aware of what happened back in Moses' time. And he prays this prayer. The same way you took care of them, God, just give me my daily bread. Give me what I need. And so he's praying, don't give me poverty, please, and don't give me riches, only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? This is a real thing, friends. This is real, especially, goodness gracious, I'm so fortunate to be born here in America, but it's such a real thing in this country where there is so much, even when we're going through a recession, even when we're going through tough financial times, look around us. There's so much here. This is a real thing. You know, among the Christian community, Christians can say, oh, I rely on the Lord and I trust in the Lord. And that's really easy to say when you've got your bank account to fall back on and your savings account and your 401k and your IRA and your investment portfolio and your properties or whatever it is. Like, are we really relying on the Lord? Are we trusting in our own ability to provide for ourselves? This is a problem. You know, when we're in Kenya, we're doing ministry in Kenya, where they're lifting up songs and saying, God, you're all I need. You are my all in all. Guess what? They mean it. <laughs> Not like here. This is a real thing. Having too much. Friends, listen. Having too much. Christians, are you with me? Having too much can get in the way of our relationship with Father God. Maybe this guy, Agar, knew exactly what he was doing when he prayed, give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want to have too much and end up disowning you and saying, well, who is the Lord? I don't need Lord. I've got my stuff. I've got myself that I can rely on. I've got my stuff. I've got my savings. I've got my food stored up. Who is the Lord? I don't need the Lord. He doesn't want that. He wants to be reliant on God. What? He desires that. Or, the other end of the spectrum, or I may become poor and steal and, do, and so dishonor the name of my God. Wealth and poverty, both of these things can interfere with our relationship with God. You know, on that other end of the spectrum, the poverty can drive people to do things that are wrong, that are unethical, to steal, or maybe not steal outright, but kind of like swindle or sneak or take, you know, all these things. This is very real, to sin 
against God. And this guy, he doesn't want any of that. I don't want to be too poor so that I'm tempted to steal. And I don't want to have too much so that I disown you, God. Just, just give, me, give me what I need. Here's what I'd like to say to you. I would like to talk to the poor who are listening to my words. And I'm not going to define poverty for you. But if you walked in this morning feeling poor, let me say this to you. If you feel that you are in need, if you feel that you are in poverty, I just want to encourage you to take a step back and get a bigger perspective of the greater needs around the world. And I'm not telling you, well, your problems aren't significant. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just encouraging you to step back because I know that when I step back and take in the bigger problems around the world, all of a sudden my problems that I'm so overwhelmed by seem a little bit smaller or maybe even significantly smaller. Take that step back. Now, maybe once you take that step back, you'll realize, man, I really am in need. Well, well, that's why you have a church family. That's why you have a connection. You can ask for help when you need it. And that's, that's really how life is supposed to work. We ask for help when we need it. I know that can be difficult, but that's, that's important. So t- if you're feeling poor, take that step back. Assess the situation. And I would encourage you to, to engage in a specific discipline the discipline of counting your blessings. Several years ago, that was a New Year's resolution that I made that I, quite frankly, didn't keep up with. <laughs> it lasted at least through April, I think. Well, to every day to take a moment and say, thank you, God, for, and just have that list. Do you know how much that changes your heart? I was trying to cultivate gratitude in my heart. Just count those blessings. Not to focus on where I'm lacking, but to focus on what's there. Goodness gracious. And so those are my words of encouragement to you if you're feeling poor, if you're feeling like you have less than others. Let me speak now to the rich. Uh, now, nobody wants to think of themselves as rich. Well, I'm not rich. Somebody else is rich. Okay, yeah, yeah. Again, we're playing the comparison game. Compared to Elon Musk, none of us are rich, right? Sure. But play the comparison game in the other direction. Globally, everybody in this room, from a global perspective, we're all wealthy. So let me speak to the wealthy right now, specifically wealthy Christians. Here's the question for you. How can you, wealthy Christian, how can you leverage what you have on behalf of the needy? How can you use the resources in your life to help other people? Because there's this little trap that we fall into, right? Some of us who have more than we need when we consider the needs of other people, we feel so guilty, and we are content to just feel guilty about it, right? Well, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to feel bad about it. Listen, that's, that's not the solution. That's not what God wants for us. Well, I'm just going to feel guilty about the fact that I have more than I need. No, 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 no. The question is, how are we going to use what you have to help other people? That's the question. And friends, that's the burden of wealth, what is that, an oxymoron, the burden of wealth? That's, that's it. That's the burden of having more than you need, is going before the Lord and saying, well, how can I take this more? How can I take what you've given me? How can I take what you've blessed me with and not just keep it to myself, not just store it up for my own good, but how can I use it to help those who are less fortunate, help those who are in need? Let me make this statement to the wealthy out there. And I'm not trying to get all political on you. Let me just tell you this much, and I believe this. Those of you who are wealthy, please hear me. 
No one else is entitled to your wealth. No one else is entitled to your stuff, right? That's yours. And I don't believe that you should be compelled by, by any agency or any government to give your stuff over to them, right? And if you know a little bit about world history, you know that there have been governments all around the world who have said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take money from the wealthy people and then we're going to give it to the poor people, right? And track records have shown that the government has a great does a great job of taking from the wealthy but has kind of a, a poor record of actually then giving it out to those who are in need, right? And so wealthy people, just hear me when I say, no one else is entitled to your stuff. And you should not be compelled by any agency or any government to, to give over your stuff. That's my belief. But Christians, you should be compelled by your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to give to those who are in need. You should be compelled by your Lord. Some of you Christians, that's what you call him, your Lord. Well, Lord means Lord. Lord means boss. And so to be compelled by God, not compelled by guilt or some other agency, but compelled by God to say, okay, you've given me more than I need, God. How can I use these resources to help other people? And that is the burden of wealth. How will I take this over and above? How will I take this and use it to help those who are in need. The same way poverty can lead to sin and a fractured relationship with God, so can your wealth. There's this little thing I like to say. <clears throat> it does not take money to sin, but it helps. It doesn't take money to sin, but it certainly helps. The more that you have beyond what you need, the more temptations are available to you, the more options are available to you, the more sin options are available to you, right? How many stories have there been? There's that married man, and he's going out for the guys' weekend. Guys' weekend in Vegas, baby. Woo-hoo, right? Guys' weekend in Vegas, and he comes back to a destroyed marriage. Meanwhile, the guy who couldn't afford to go on that trip and sin and get into trouble, well, he's just fine. And that's an extreme example, but just think about it. The more money you have, the more access you have to buy things that you shouldn't be buying or do things that you should not be doing. Make no mistake, it doesn't take money to sin, but it helps. For a lot of us Christians, the problem isn't that we have too little. The problem is that we have too much, and we allow that too much to get us into trouble. Were you expecting to hear this today? Now, this is fun, isn't it? <laughs> but it is what it is. So I want you to think about that. It doesn't take money to sin, but it helps. What I want to encourage you to do, and this is for everybody, not just the wealthy, but everybody. What I want to encourage you to do is ask that question. Regardless of how much or how little you have, to ask the question, what can I do with what I have to help other people? You know, it's not enough just to feel guilty about the fact that we have more than we need. What we need to do is actually solve the problem of greed. And the only way, friends, to solve the problem of greed is to, is to give, is to give. Let's take a closer look now at that prayer that Ayer lifts up. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Wow. How many of us... <laughs> How many of us will be willing 
Christians in the room, how many of us will be willing to lift up that prayer? And so here's what I could do right now as the pastor. I could say, everybody who's willing to pray that prayer, please stand up and we'll make a commitment together, right? But I'm not going to do that to you, at least not today. What I want to do is this instead. Think about this. Would you? Would you be willing to pray that prayer? God, give me neither poverty nor riches. And if in your heart of hearts, you don't have to answer me, but if in your heart of hearts the answer is no, that's a sign. That's a sign that there's greed in your heart. And by the way, you're not alone. Most of us would say, I don't want to pray this, right? You're not alone. But that's a sign that there's greed in your heart. And the only way to fight greed is not by feeling bad about it. The only way to fight greed is to give, is to give. I mean, here we are on the cusp of Thanksgiving, on the cusp of giving season, a season where we're more in tune with the needs in our community and around the world. We'll find a way to give. Don't be content just to feel bad about it. No, give. You've got so many wonderful options for giving, right? And yes, those of you who are members of this local church or any local church, you can certainly give to your local church, absolutely, but there are other wonderful charities and nonprofits that you can give to, like Start With One Kenya, Literally Saving Lives in the Name of Jesus, a fantastic organization. There are local charities that you can give to. But I tell you what I really like here and what I really am an advocate for is to give to people you know. Because chances are there's somebody in your life right now who is going through a tough financial time. Put a few dollars in an envelope and give it to them. That's it. The solution for greed is to give. How can you leverage what you have? How can you take what you have and use what you have to help, to help other people? How can you do that? I mean, here we are. We've got the blessing bags, uh, food donations that we collect. I see some there this morning. Thank you. There are a few donations in this bin this morning. That's fantastic. Well, there's another really simple, tangible thing that you can do. I mean, you're going to the grocery store anyway. Pick up a little something extra. If you have the financial means to buy a little something extra, buy a little something extra. You know where this food goes, right? It doesn't go to Kenya. It doesn't go around the world. It goes to people right here in our own community, the working poor who are struggling to put food on their table. Friends, I want to see this bin overflowing next Sunday, right? Wouldn't that be something? How about that, right? Let's do that. A tangible, practical way to give back. If you have more than your fair share of your daily bread, will help somebody who has less than what they need to give. You know, giving feels perhaps counterintuitive when we're going through a period of recession, when we're going through a period of financial stress, right? Everyone wants to tighten up the belt, and cut back on the spending, cut back on all the expenses. And one of the first things to go is what? Is giving, is helping other people. You know, there are churches all around the country that are struggling right now, again, because that's the first thing to go when people are, you know, tight financially. It's the first thing to go is giving to their church. And I will say that, praise to God, we're an exception to that. You know, our giving is just a little tiny bit under what we need, but just a little tiny bit. And in such a time as this, that's a huge blessing to be just a little bit shy, right? Praise God for that. And I'm confident by the end of this calendar year, we'll, we'll have everything we need and perhaps 
more than that. But I want you to think about that. Instead of tightening up the belt, look how you can give and help other people. Now, we collectively, as a church, we're faced with that same dilemma and that same temptation as everybody else. Because we as a church, we could say, listen, you know, I know we give money away every year. Maybe we need to tighten up the old belt. Maybe we need to give less money away next year. You know, so far, to date this year, we've given away over $13,000. Okay, with a church our size, that's pretty significant. And there's that temptation. Here we are, and we're at a season right now where we've got to plan our church budget. That's how that works. You know, from the administrative angle of church life, that's what we're doing. And we could say, you know what, we've got to cut back on those expenses, right? But I'm telling you right now, I think that next year, we should be prepared to give away even more because there's greater needs around the world. And so, church leadership, members of the finance committee, members of the board directors, consider this your warning. I want to give away more, not less next year, okay? Because that's what we need to do to fight that temptation to keep for ourselves and instead say, how can we help other people who are in need? A little over 10 years ago when we started Hope Community Church, we realized that one of the things that we're up against in this community, and really globally, is this reputation that churches have for being takers, takers, we're going to take your money, take your stuff. No, we want to have a reputation for being a church that gives. And so far, I believe that we have lived up to that desire. We are a church that gives. And so, at such a time as this, in this economy, let's not shy away from giving. Instead, let's be counterintuitive. Let's lean into giving. Let's give more now than ever before. Let's be a church that gives. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for blessing us collectively as a church. You have provided. You have given us our daily bread. You have allowed us to be a church that gives back to this community and gives to people around the world, a church that supports missionaries and supports local needs. And so, Father God, we thank you that you have allowed us that, that privilege to help other people. And as we move into the end of this year and into the beginning of a new year, I pray that that giving spirit would continue. Help us to fight the temptation of greed, to fight the temptation to keep and to take, and really live into your calling. Live into your command to be generous, to be giving. Let us give to those who are in need. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.